Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Great day to travel. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on World Footprints Radio. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And we're broadcasting to you from our studios in the Metro Washington, D.C. area. And, you know, I'm really excited about today's show. An interview with one of my favorite people, actually, uh, one of my favorite soap stars. And yes, I do watch uh, the soap. Uh, if, uh, if you know the name Victor Newman, you know who I'm talking about. He's the number one um, or Emmy Award winning actor from the number one daytime drama, The Young and the Restless. And everyone I talk to says, oh, I love Mr. Newman, I love Mr. Newman, but, you know, I do too, but more so, I love the man, Eric Braden, and, uh, and I know you'll, you'll fall in love with Eric Braden, uh, who is just as charming as his Victor Newman character. As Tanya mentioned, Eric Braden joins us to share his early forays into the world of acting, as well as his life's transforming journey from Germany to the United States. Then, Travel's gadget girl, Ellen Barone, takes a break from her travels to talk to us about the latest in travel technology and travel gear that will boost your productivity on the road as well as lighten your load. Finally, our good friend and global jet setter, Johnny Jet, joins us again to share where he's been recently and some travel tips to make your next journey smoother. As always, if you have a question or comment, write to us at comments at worldfootprints.com. And, of course, as you all know, if you want to follow us in real time, you can do so from our website, worldfootprints.com. There you can link up to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and even Stitcher, our mobile app that lets you listen to us uh, whilst you're on the go from anywhere in the world. So join us and sign up for our newsletter while you're there. And uh, take a peek at our new travel deals page at worldfootprints.com. As uh, you know, we're really headed into a pretty exciting period here at World Footprints Radio with uh, Eric Braden's uh, interview today, and uh, we're going to be having many more celebrity superstars joining us from the soap world and elsewhere, and I'm sure our guests are really going to enjoy some of those upcoming shows. Celebrities, sports stars, I mean, a lot of surprises this season for us. You may recognize our next guest from his role as John Jacob Astor in Jane Cameron's mega-hit Titanic, or perhaps as Victor Newman, his most famous role on the number one daytime drama, The Young and the Restless, a role that garnered an Emmy Award, several Emmy nominations, and a People's Choice Award. Eric Braden is well known for his many television and film roles over the last 50 years, and he's received many accolades for those roles but he has also been honored for his real-life role as a humanitarian, and I am so delighted to welcome him to our show. Eric, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you, Tanya. Nice talking to you. Your, your life is, is filled with so many rich experiences and adventures. You were born in Germany. Um, given name was Hans Gudgast, and you were That's born in, in Kiel. And, uh, and you grew up in World War II Germany, um, you became a track and field champion, which I think is so cool, a national German youth champion and with victories in the discus, javelin, and shot put. You and got that all right. <laughs> <laughs> how about that? 
And uh, and then you immigrated to this country, the land of cowboys and Indians, and you actually became a real-life cowboy in, in Montana. I mean, what a journey for a young man, Eric. T- tell us a little bit about your early years. The well, the early years in in in, in Germany. I was born in 1941, so in the middle of the war. So you can imagine that was um, a not so pleasant time. Mm-hmm. Uh, bombings every day, and then towards the end of the war, bombings every night and day. So um, and then, of course, in the post-war years, utter destruction. Uh, Germany was essentially flattened, mm-hmm. and, uh, and all the bigger cities were. I grew up in the countryside outside of Kiel, which was a, uh, a submarine harbor and where they built warships, and hence it was bombed a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there you are. The childhood was um, um, had a very close family, and in that sense it was... Very nice until my father died when I was 12. And um, mm. it was a very adventurous childhood in the countryside. You know, you people who grew up in the countryside very often mm-hmm. are far more advanced and far more mature than kids who grew up in cities. Mm-hmm. Um, they always talk about the early maturity in ghettos. That's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Try growing up in the countryside uh, after the war and... Um, you see life and death around you, mm-hmm. and um, um, hard work on farms and what have you. Anyway, it was all in all a good time. What helped me the most was sports, mm-hmm. and you alluded to that earlier, um, and still helps me. I must say that is uh, my one constant in my life, mm-hmm. and um, Do you have I think a it's the best medicine there is. Do you have a favorite sport? No, you know, I grew up in, in as, as a boy, I played from ice hockey to soccer to uh, what is called European handball, uh, and then mostly track and field, discus, javelin, and shot put, and with which I won the German youth championship and team championship in in 1958. And that, I must say, helped me through very tough times. Mm -hmm. Now, Eric, when uh, you made your first major trip uh, to the United States, what was that like for you, and what was it like to see the Statue of Liberty for the first time? Well, to be honest with you, it was leaving Germany was very tough. Mm-hmm. It, it was leaving the family behind uh, was emotionally very wrenching, and that applies to all the immigrants who have come here over the years who have made America. It's, it's, it's a very tough thing. It's an uprooting that you it's hard to imagine. And but then uh, the voyage was uh, on the Hanseatic, uh, partly during rough weather, towards the end of May 1959. Mm. And um, but then I remember, never forget the moment that I saw the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. And um, then, of course, subsequently New York City, and landed in the 34th Street docks, and. You know, someone who came from a small village, now suddenly in the middle of New York. That's that's an absolutely unforgettable uh, impression. Yeah. Legend has it that your first American meal was a hamburger and chocolate milkshake. At no, the it, was it was a cheeseburger. It was a cheeseburger. Ah, ah, I love cheeseburger. it. You love cheese. <laughs> on, on, on top of the Empire State Building. Wow. You know, and I'll never forget it. Yeah. Uh, and I loved it. I said, "This ooh, this tastes great." <laughs> so, um, and I had a had a cousin 
she was a psychiatrist, so consequently she had studied medicine. And, of course, most doctors then didn't know a damn thing about nutrition. <laughs> so I asked her, I said, is this healthy? She said, oh, it's very healthy. <laughs> and, of course, the worst thing you can do, you know, <laughs> on a steady diet. But, uh, so I had it for years afterwards. Loved it. Still love it. Oh. Yeah. I was going to ask if you still indulge in, in the tea. Yes, I do. Oh. At least about once every two weeks or three weeks I'll, I'll do that, you know. <laughs> Well, in your honor, I'm going to have a cheeseburger tonight for dinner. Yes. <laughs> Usually go to In-N-Out, In-N-Out Burger or whatever. Oh, yeah. Lord. Yeah my, yeah, my arteries won't thank me. Yes. <laughs> now, now um, you and uh, you traveled from New York to uh, Galveston. Was right. this to, meet, to be with your, the cousin that you just yes, exactly. Okay. Yes, exactly. She, she taught at the Middle University of Texas in Galveston. Okay, okay. Right. And I took the Greyhound bus. From New York to Galveston. Now, right. you, you, when you came here, you only had fifty dollars in your pocket. Right. How did you right. How did you manage that? You know, living in New York uh, and then traveling. Well, I borrowed that money to go to Galveston, and when I got there, I started work the next day. Ah, uh, okay. I paid it off. Okay. You know? Yeah. And then you you ended up going to Montana, where you actually worked as a cowboy. I had I wanted to get the hell out of Texas because <laughs> not because I dislike Texas, it's because I just wanted to get away from from you know what I had become sort of a substitute parent, mm. and that I wanted to escape. Oh and, right. Uh, so I asked if they knew anyone else in, in in America, and they knew a rancher in Montana, who had come to America as an immigrant in 1900, and he was already in his 80s, and he had a ranch outside of Missoula, Montana, and I. You know, sent a telegram asking if they needed help, and uh, he said, "Yep." So uh, I took a Greyhound bus from from Texas to Montana, mm-hmm. and arrived there in the fall of '59, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and started working as a cowboy the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that like for you? Well, I grew up on farms in Germany, so there was nothing to it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I was used to hard work, so from early on, mm-hmm. I have earned my own money since I was 12 years old. So. Um, but I didn't want to stay a cowboy for the rest of my <laughs> of my life. And although I had been enamored of that whole Wild West stories, in, in Germany we, we devoured those stories about the American West. We yeah. devoured them. And there's a famous German author called Karl May, and he wrote about never set foot in America and wrote absolutely authentic-sounding books about uh, North America and cowboys and Indians and fascinating. Huh. So every every German boy read that stuff. A lot of girls as well. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, obviously sitting on the saddle and riding and uh, fixing fences and, and hauling cattle down from the upper regions of the hillsides down into the lower meadows. Um, the romance goes right out of the rear end after about eight hours on the side. <laughs> sure. I can only imagine. And, and yes. I wonder if that uh, encouraged you to take a look at uh, the University of Montana, where I understand you were offered a partial track scholarship, kind of yes. building on your athletic prowess back in uh, your younger days in Germany. You're absolutely right. Uh, I applied and... Um, you know, did some discus throwing and shot putting for the coach and uh, javelin throwing, and I get a partial scholarship. So, uh, but the partial scholarship, of course, didn't cover my living expenses. Mm-hmm. So I worked in a lumber mill outside of Missoula in Bonner. 
Mm. And there was a lumber mill, and I worked in a green chain from 6 to 2 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then my first lecture was at 8 in the morning. Good grief. So uh, it was one of the toughest years I you know, ever spent, I would say. And, um, yeah. Now, from, from, is that where you met uh, Bob McKinnon at the, at the university? That's right. Okay. I had a girlfriend called Dorothy McBride, who had a girlfriend called Susie Cook, and they introduced me to Bob McKinnon, who wanted to go up and down the river of no return. I know, I know, Eric. What what were you thinking, honestly? I mean, just, that, I mean such a dangerous... Uh, oh. Anything. I said, I said, what's the upshot? He <laughs> says, we make a documentary and go to California. I said, I'm in. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Anything to escape the drudgery of working eight hours in a lumber mill, <laughs> and then, you know, lectures on philosophy and political science and all that from eight to, to one or two. So um, I said, yeah, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Oh. And not, you know, at the age of, I turned 19 then, you're not really aware of what danger is all about, and I wasn't mm-hmm. worried about it. And uh, so we took that boat, 15-foot-long Crestliner, aluminum boat powered by a 40-horsepower Johnson motor, mm. and we traveled from Missoula to uh, Lewis and Clarkson on the Snake River in Idaho. Mm. And that's where we started out. And they had a meeting at the Chamber of Commerce with us, and they came up to me and said, Young man, do you know what you're getting into? <laughs> I said, No, not really, and didn't care either. <laughs> and then we embarked upon the journey and went up the snake, and that portion of it was very calm and went into the salmon, and for about, you know, about half an hour it was very calm, and then suddenly I heard this enormous cacophony, <laughs> and lo and behold, around the next bend was the first rapid. Oh, my God. Oh and my I thought, gosh. holy mackerel, let me get the hell out of here. <laughs> but he didn't budge, and, uh, and if he didn't budge, then I wouldn't budge, and pure pure male ego All right. kept me. So long story short, we took us about three weeks, three to four weeks to go up and down, but almost drowned three times doing it. Yeah. And uh, it was one of the most unforgettable times in my life, I would say. Now, this unforgettable experience literally launched you into acting. You literally put your life on the line to become an actor. That's an amazing transformation. Talk about about that next transition here from from coming to America to now becoming an actor. Well, we, we went back to Missoula, Montana, and from there took a Greyhound bus to come to Los Angeles in California. And with a film under our arm, in order to show that film at press conferences. And at that time, they had uh, Governor Knight was the governor of California. He had a talk show, and the Bill Barrett Aqua Venture. They showed that film on television several times. Oh. And we were taken around to various studios, and uh, I was asked by one of the casting people at Warner Brothers if I'd ever been interested in acting. They had seen the film. And I said, well, vaguely, what's, what's, you know, what's the story about that? So they began to tell me about the potential money you could make in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, long story short, eventually I, I did that mm-hmm. a few months later. And in German high school, I was very good in, in cold reading. Mm-hmm. In other words, in reading classical texts and interpreting them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had training in cold reading without knowing it. As an actor, to be able to take a scene 
pretty well told and interpreted is uh, is a skill that a lot of people learn in classes, but I'd learn it without knowing it. Indeed. Indeed. So I got jobs very quickly. And you really, those early years, too, you spent a lot of time on the stage before moving into you know other genres, film and, and television. Um, and you used your given name at that time, but the I read that the studios um, started to pressure you a little bit or persuade you um, to change your name, and, and, and you said that was one of the most painful decisions you've ever had to make. Yeah. Talk a little yeah, bit about My real that. name is Hans Gudigas, and I did, a, I did a series called The Rat Patrol in the 60s uh, mm-hmm. that was uh, very popular here for a while. It was number one for a while. And uh, we filmed that in the south of Spain, and then the rest of it over here in the Mojave Desert in California. And shortly thereafter, I did a film with Raquel Welsh from Bird Reynolds called A Hundred Rifles, and we went back to Spain. And that's when I got, And meanwhile, I had done a play on Broadway. Mm-hmm. All of that with the name Hans Kudigast. And uh, um, then I was approached by Universal Studios to star in a film called Colossus, the Forbin Project, a science fiction film. Yes. A very good one. And Lou Wasserman, the then president of Universal Studios, insisted that I change my name. He said no one with a German name would star in an American picture. Hmm. So um, I thought about that long and hard and had long walks. At that time, we were back in Madrid. My wife and I talked for a long time about it. And uh, she reminded me of conversations I'd had with Kurt Jürgens and some other German actors, and they said, in Hollywood, you'll be, as a German, you'll be condemned to play Nazis. And I said, I will want to get out of that, and, mm-hmm. uh, because due to dehumanizing after a while. Mm-hmm. And hence the change to Eric Braden. Braden is the first part of the village. I come from a Germany called Bredenbeek. Mm-hmm. And Eric is a you know, generic name up, up north in northern Europe. Uh, could be English, could be Swedish, could be anything. So... Uh, there you are. Very difficult at first, yeah. and I'm glad I did We'll have more of our conversation with Eric Braden on future episodes of World Footprints Radio. When we return, Ellen Barone, also known as Travel's Gadget Girl, joins us next as World Footprints Radio continues. Hi, my name is Timothy Kendrick. Want to travel for less? Visit the worldfootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive, non-published sales on travel. Our dynamic travel deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners, and you can't find these deals anywhere else. We've seen sales for as little as $9 a night for hotel rooms and $49 airline tickets. So stop by worldfootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services like passport processing. Hi, I'm Nancy from Lansing, Michigan. I'm here in New Orleans, and I enjoy listening to the World Footprints Radio. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And welcome back. 
A Fulbright Teaching Exchange to Scotland in the early 90s ignited a passionate and insatiable curiosity about the world. Ellen Barone got bitten by the travel bug, and it didn't take long before she traded her successful academic career for a lifestyle as a travel journalist and photographer. Ellen has traveled to more than 60 countries and is very seasoned in the art of packing and traveling. Among her several travel blogs, she hosts the popular Gadget Girl, and she joins us today to talk about a few must-have items every traveler should have. Ellen, welcome. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. As a seasoned traveler, you say that every traveler should have a smartphone, and I understand you use a Verizon Global BlackBerry, and you've reviewed this phone. Why the BlackBerry, and why a smartphone for travelers who don't have one? Well, you know, um, I used to snicker at the uh, corporate drones who <laughs> gathered by their techie, um, you know, umbilical cords to bosses and work, and I used to think, well, here I am, the footloose freelancer, and I'll jet off to some remote destination with nothing more than a um, catch-you-when-I-get-back, you know, auto-response on my email and phone message. But that was pre-BlackBerry, and um, they don't call it CrackBerry for nothing, <laughs> because um, today you'll find me right there with those corporate schmucks, you know, checking email and thumbing back responses before the plane is even pulled up to the jetway. And uh, for a while there, I really hardly recognized myself, and I thought, but, um, you know, but just when I'm ready to go cold turkey and swear off technology, you know, I'll need to Google a hotel phone room, phone number, or I'll need to air, email the airport shuttle with delayed flight details, or I'll be on my way to an important meeting and I'll be using the turn-by-turn directions on the phone. And um, I've even scored, you know, a dream assignment while I was on the beach in Rio. So uh, <laughs> it's it's really nice to be able to dash off a quick I'll do it and not miss something. And, um, you know, there's... <laughs> There's there's um there's a tendency to be you know make these technical godsends a compulsive addiction and for me it's finding that balance and I really do find that the uh, you know having a smartphone um, I can't even remember the bad old days when when we arrive to a place and have to be digging for pocket change and you never have the right currency and you know you're worried the hostel's going to close before you get mm-hmm. there because you've delayed a flight and all of those things that that we all put up with in the past mm-hmm. and figured out but somehow. Mm-hmm. It's just so easy to pull the BlackBerry out of your pocket. Yeah, you know, those days weren't too long ago. I can remember being in France as part of student travel in the mid-90s and having an international calling card and calling from the public phone in Paris. And, you know, that's ancient history. It is. And and to me, I love um, having that access right at my fingertips. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think that these are tools that can serve us instead of the other way around. And, and you know, actually, instead of uh, or in addition to having this addictive <laughs> tool in our hands, it's it's really about staying connected with, with people back home in the event of emergency or, you know, and in, in, in our field, um, you know, we're constantly uh, having to, to address address emails and, and phone calls. And so I know that you are trying out uh, the Vonage mobile program for your phone um, as kind of a, you know, just testing the, the quality of um, airtime and, uh, you know, as, as part of a low-cost uh, connection mode. What what do you use right now to stay connected? Do you use a SIM card? And how has the Vonage 
program worked out for you if you've used it yet? Well, you know, I've added the Vonage mobile app to my phone, and that's about as far as I've gotten. And the only reason for that is because I do use Vonage uh, quite quite a bit at home, but the only reason I haven't used it is I also still have the Skype app on my phone, and uh-huh. I use that a lot. And I've just added Google Voice, and I'm looking forward to figuring out, out of those three, you know, what, what's going to serve me the best. And the thing that serves me the best in the U.S. might not be the solution that serves me a best abroad. For instance, you know, I use the Skype on my uh, BlackBerry because, let's say, I'm putting together a trip to Italy, and I need to be calling there frequently to, to check on things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love that I'm sitting in the rocking chair on my front porch in the mountains of New Mexico, chatting comfortably away in Italy. Um, and and spending zero dollars practically, and I, and I can do it from my cell phone. I'm not tethered to the to the phone at my desk, so I love that. Yeah, and it you know it's going as moving on to to another uh, travel essential because we can talk about phones all day long. It's kind of <laughs> I I'm I'm addicted. <laughs> yeah, I need if there's an AA for you know phone users, um, I'd probably have to uh, uh, there'd have to be an intervention for me. We interviewed um, some months ago. Uh, we interviewed Bertram von Munster, the creator of the CBS show The Amazing Race. Mm-hmm. And one thing Ver- Bertram talked about was how much luggage people carry when they traveled. I mean, he's he was just beside himself wondering what the heck do these people need? And he only travels, and when he travels, you know, on extended periods preparing for the next season, he only travels with a small backpack. And there's an item that's been in the news lately as part of a travel challenge, the Scotty vest. And I know this is one of your favorite uh, items. Tell us a little bit about this uh, this great vest. Yeah, I mean, I look for the perfect travel vest for a long time. And I've always envied my male colleague, uh, the photojournalist, because they always had their multi-pocketed photojournalist vests, and I hated wearing one. You know, they're fine if you're a broad-shouldered, six-foot-something, 200-pound male, but on a smaller-framed female, they're just uncomfortable they're unattractive. In my opinion, they sort of scream journalists. And I don't necessarily always want to be a target in a place where I just assume blend in. So um, I was looking for a long time. And I love to have everything handy and discreetly concealed on my person rather than carrying them in a separate day pack or carry-all. So until I found the Scott E-Vest, the perfect vest that sort of eluded me. But um, the Scott E-Vest, oh my gosh, it's designed you know, to be functionally... Um, streamlined. It has 21 pockets and they're all sort of um, compartmentalized and hidden and they're no bulge and they're breathable and the water it's a water repellent material. I got the black one Mm. because I, I can wear it you know, um, at home, I can wear it out in the evening. I mean, it's just, it's nipped at the waist and it falls below the hips. And, you know, if a vest can even flatter, it does. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's wired for techno travelers. It has, you know, earphone ports and an internal um, cord management system really? that enables me to use. Yeah, I can use the headphones from my iPod or my cell phone without tangling myself all up when I get up out of the seat in an airplane because it's all with Within, it's all um, it's all within the system, and it's and it's great. It's great, and and what's so fun is when you buy one, every pocket has a business card sized um, little card inside it that tells you what that pocket is 
best utilized for. It's just, it's just too fun. I mean, I'm a bit of a geek this way, but I really I love this vest. I wouldn't dream of leaving home without it. Um, it's an extra carry-on, basically. And mm-hmm. in these days of, you know, one bag, one personal item, um, this is huge. It, it has pockets that fit an iPad in it. You know, it has pockets that fit your travel document carrier. It has pockets that fit perfectly your, your cell phone. So even when it's on vibrate, you know, you're still going to know that you've got a call coming in or something important you're waiting for. And you could probably so fit some of those, uh, those you know, lingerie, or not lingerie, but um, but uh, underwear and, you know, all yeah. sorts of other things in, in the pocket uh, that you should carry with you when you're checking luggage, um, just in case mm-hmm. the luggage gets lost. So um, this, this guy is traveling, I'm not quite sure, he's traveling around the world with no it's suitcase. Real, real hot doing it. Yeah. yeah he, he is. He's, he is. And I think he's using, there's a, men, there's a men's jacket that the sleeves zip off, and so it's either a vest or a jacket, hmm. depending on the climate where you're going, which is a great alternative, too. Wow. Yeah, anything anything to go lighter this uh, day and age with uh, the exorbitant baggage charges and, you know, you just, uh, just you know, having to carry all of this stuff through airports, you know, uh, you know it's, it's a really important consideration. And since you're a photographer and we know camera equipment, video equipment can be extremely heavy, what solutions have you found for the traveler who wants to pack light but have the ability to take their gear and take quality photos and capture quality images when they're on the road? Well, you know, my new secret weapon <laughs> is the Olympus Eyeless Huff 8010. Uh, this camera, you know, I'm a total gadget geek, but I can't help but get a thrill every single time I dive into salt water with this camera or plunge headlong into whitewater rapids with this puppy strapped to my wrist and it has no waterproof casing. It's just a normal pocket-sized point-and-shoot Olympus camera and yet it's waterproof, it's freezer-proof, it's drop-proof, it, it's everything. So, you know, when, I, when I'm done snorkeling with um, sea lions in Baja and videotaping them while I'm doing it on high-definition video, you know, as soon as I return to my hotel room, I'm rinsing it off under the sink in my bathroom and it's just blowing my mind. Holy that, cow! Um, <laughs> that, uh, that I can do this and then I can go skiing with it and know my battery's not going to die and I can mm. fall a zillion times in snowboarding lessons and know I'm not crushing it. So um, for me, it's an, it's an amazing little uh, tool to have along and it's an essential now in my kit. I, I, it, goes, it goes out with me in the evenings when I don't want to lug a big SLR into a, into a you know, intimate bar scene where people are going to notice it. Um, but I can, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful addition to a photographer's arsenal. Uh, I wouldn't think of leaving without it. Well, you know, I'm so excited and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, actually looking at Ian, you know, because he knows the, the Christmas gift hint look. And, and, and That's I why think... I'm trying not to look too hard. <laughs> well, but that, I mean, I'm, this camera is exciting to me. And, and what, what's the cost? What cost range um, are we looking at? Where are the price points? And as far as underwater photography, what's the depth level? Because I'm a scuba diver and I'm thinking, whoa, you know, I mean, I'm excited. Tell me, what are those, uh, how, how far can you go in the water with this camera? Well, it, you can take pictures as deep as 33 feet. 
So, uh, and you can drop it as far as it be. And you would think I wouldn't have actually gone to the trouble to, to test that feature, but and I didn't. But one day I was hanging uh, my Scott E-Vest up in the closet of my at home, and I'd forgotten that I had the camera sort of half in and half out of the pocket. And so when I hung up the vest, the camera fell out, and we have tile flooring in our house, which you know is not real forgiving when you drop things. Mm-hmm. And that that camera has kept on ticking ever since. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I didn't measure the distance I dropped it, but it, it's good to 33 feet underwater, and it's good to 6.6 feet for dropping it, and it's good to 14 degrees Fahrenheit for uh, cold weather. And it's it's re- suggested retail price, Tanya, is 3.99 when it first came out. It, it might be down now. Oh, my uh, I gosh. Used to have, I know. I used to have an older model, but, you know, they really added. Um, it was already a great camera, and they, they managed to make it better, so. I went ahead and did that. Well, Christmas is coming, dear. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, what about uh, what about the directionally challenged person? You know, speaking of the amazing race, the person that you would not want to be the map reader in 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 a in a contest with you. What what uh, gadgets do you have, uh, or can you suggest for for those individuals? Well, you know, I have fallen in love with Google Maps, and um, I used to use sort of independent GPS um, handhelds, and and I thought they were wonderful. But nowadays, I'm 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 finding my phone literally is doing more and more for me, and I'm I'm shooting pictures from my phone, you know, because I can send them straight to Facebook or Twitter or to my friends or my parents' wireless digital camera in in their home. Um, And so I use I use my Google Map feature on my cell phone even though uh, Verizon does have a navigation system. So I kind of, as Google Maps fails me, I'll turn to other resources. But more and more, you know, Google Maps is my go-to source. And I love that they have Google Maps for everything, not just, you know, to direct me in the car or to direct me on the streets of Paris, but to also tell me, you know, where are bike routes on the streets of Paris or where mm-hmm. are restaurants or where are, you know, when I when I wrote recently about um, I was in Portugal and doing a wine um, tasting tour, and so I created a Google Map with all the wineries that I visited. And so anybody could sort of replicate that that wonderful route that I discovered. So to me, Google Maps is not only just a navigation system, but it's also a community that's providing me with restaurant information and sightseeing information and biking trails and, and everything I'd need to know in, in a new part of the world or at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Ellen, I know when uh, we head off to travel and I'm packing... I've got certain essential things that must go with me. And for me, uh, that begins with uh, my ex-officio gear. What essentials, the one or two things that you can't leave home without when uh, you're on travel? Well, ex-officio goes with me everywhere. Um, And it's uh, a funny thing to bring up, but I love the ex-officio underwear. (laughs) I remember last year I was up in Quebec and I was with a bunch of adventure travel people. And and we were all talking about how much... we're at a bar, you know, we're talking about how much we love our ex-officio underwear. And it, Count it me just, in. Uh, it just made me giggle because, but the reason I love it is I can go with two pairs. They're, they wash out every night. They're quick, quick dry. Um, and um, I'm good to go. Forget about the dozen pairs you used to pack yeah. on a two-week trip. that take up a lot of space these days when we're doing carry-on only or I'm trying more and more to do that. So um, the ex-officio certainly goes with me in more ways than 
just the underwear. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of, of their insect repellent shirts and, and, you know, whatever I'm doing adventure-wise, ex officio is, is definitely part of my outfit. But Eagle Creek is another super, super um, travel um, resource, and I use their Tarmac 22 carry-on bag, which I just absolutely love and have recently um, given up using my Patagonia Freightliner or Freewheeler bag, which is mm. my check-on. If I'm checking baggage, the Patagonia definitely is going with me. If I'm not checking baggage, which is more and more, um, I'm using the Eagle Creek Tarmac 22, and I love the way it has um, built-in organization. It really helps me optimize my use of space, and the wheels are quiet, and they're rugged, and it's stylish, and it's really just well thought out. It has a, a detachable piggyback lip, so, you know, I can add a bag. Uh, gives me that versatility. Uh, it's just a, it's a great bag. The pockets are thought out. The fixed compartments, like a shoe pouch and an inner, outer and inner compartments, they're well thought out. Um, it has an expandable um, feature where if I've, you know, purchased too much on a trip, <laughs> it can expand a little, but um, it won't fit in the, uh, care, in the overhead if I do use that expandable. So if I've gone too crazy, it has to be checked, but it's just an absolutely optimal bag. And what's the price point? And they point? have a lifetime guarantee. Oh, and what's the price point for that bag? Um, generally, it's average. a suggested retail of two eighty five. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is definitely. Um, it has enabled me to become a carry on only traveler. And you know, considering the fact that one bag of mine is generally uh, committed to camera equipment and laptops and technology, um, for me to be able to have a, just a one other bag solution and be able to optimize my use of space, and I love that I don't have to worry anymore if my checked bag's going to arrive mm-hmm. because I'm now I'm now carrying everything I need in in two bags. Okay, well, and the Scotty vest. <laughs> yes, yes, and <laughs> the ex officio. So, <laughs> well, Ellen, uh, thank you so much for helping us learn to travel a little bit easier and sharing these uh, gadgets with us and we look forward to you coming back on our show with uh, with a series of uh, new gadgets that you've discovered through your travels. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today on World Footprints Radio. Well, I'm really happy to join you and I uh, appreciate you having me on and I'm always happy to talk gadgets. I am, <laughs> I am a, a bit of a geek that way, so I look forward to the, any opportunity. Thanks, Tonya. Thanks, Ian. Our pleasure. Thank you. And, and just for our audience, if you want to learn more about the things that Ellen's discovering or follow her uh, throughout her adventures and and, and the multiple blogs she hosts, um, you can visit ellenbarone.com. After the break, Johnny Jeff stops by to share his latest adventures when World Footprints Radio continues. Hello, my name is Minnie Johnson, and I'm from Michigan. I really enjoy listening to the World Footprints Radio show whenever I have an opportunity to do so. I've gained so much uh, information from the show. For the latest and last-minute travel deals, visit the WorldFootprints.com travel portal to find exclusive non-published sales on travel. Our dynamic travel deals page updates daily with the latest sales from our partners. You can't find these deals anywhere else, and we've seen sales for $9 per night for hotels and $49 airline tickets. So stop by WorldFootprints.com to see where you can go for less. Also, make sure you visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Hi, this is Paul Harris from uh, Seven Oaks in England. We're once again here in New Orleans. I think it's my 35th or 40th, 40th time, and it's always a pleasure to come back 
we always bring our, uh, our musicians with us. And it's a great pleasure to uh, meet uh, our friends from World Footprints and uh, wish you all the success with your show and uh, looking forward to seeing you again sometime. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Remember that song, I'm Leaving on a Jet Plane? Well, we are indeed. Welcome back. We're very happy to welcome back an old friend and fellow traveler who practically lives in an airplane. John E. Descala, better known as Johnny Jet, is the founder of the very popular travel website, johnnyjet.com. Johnny travels all over the world, and to date, I believe, this year alone, he's exceeded 102,000 airline miles, and boy... I'd like a piece of that. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know where he is in the world or where he's going next, but right now he's spending time with World Footprints Radio, and we're very happy to have him back. Hey, you, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Now, where are you? Where have you come from? And where are you going next? Because it, it's hard to keep up with you, and but for technology, uh, we wouldn't know. Hey, it's hard to, for me to keep up with myself. <laughs> I'm in Los Angeles, and I'm on my way to Santa Barbara in about an hour. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, and I just came from, I was in Toronto a few days ago, and I was in Miami a couple days before that, and I was in Bora Bora a few days before that. Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, you you do so much traveling, Johnny. Are are these uh, business trips or uh, leisure trips or a little bit of combination of the of the two? Uh, it's all work, but you know, <laughs> my work is fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I, I want to just share a little history um, about your your website, johnnyjet.com, dot com, which really started as a service to a few friends, uh, a, f- a few of your friends. Um, and it's grown to this mega site that, uh, that, that, I mean, really, Ian and I actually will tell you, um, outside of our website, we, we, uh, we use yours as a, as a huge resource as well for our travels. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, you know, the, the, this, how long have you been doing the site? Uh, I've been doing it since, actually, I started the site in 1999. Mm-hmm. But I had a newsletter a little a couple of years before that, actually a few years before that. So, and I was calling it Johnny Jet's Travel News because you know I used to travel, I used to jet ski a lot, so I used to be called Johnny Jet Ski. <laughs> and then people are like, "Well, you have this, you know, like email blast. You should call it something." So I was like, "How about Johnny Jet?" It's it's quite catchy, I must say. Yeah, I'm lucky that when I went to buy it, it was available. I, I, you know, back then everything was available. I should have bought McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you little internet prospector, you. Uh, I know you had talked about some of your travels, and uh, I had a chance to read your your piece recently on Huffington Post when uh, I think you were traveling to Toronto and uh, came across a. a uh, a pretty famous actor, and Ed Ed Begley, and uh, you guys had a great experience, it seems, from that uh, piece that I read about. Yeah, actually, that was my flight home a few ah. days ago. Um, you know, I was at the gate, and I just saw Ed, and I got introduced by the captain. I happened to know the captain. I flown with the captain like three times, and so he introduced me, and then Ed and I just got talking, and he was telling me uh, all these different tips, because I didn't think he flew, because I, I know how green he is. Mm-hmm. And so he told me about this tip at LAX that you get free parking if you have an electric vehicle for up to two weeks at a time. Huh. Which is incredible because, you know, normally parking and where they get to park, which is right across 
you know, it's next to the short-term parking, which probably would cost like $30 a day, mm-hmm. he gets it for free for two weeks. And, you know, plus he's doing the environment good. Wow. I mean, that that's a great tip, and uh, and I, I know our listeners uh, appreciate that. As, as we discussed, you travel a lot, you, you see a lot of the world, and... Um, because there's uh, most of your travels are business related, do you really have an opportunity to enjoy the destinations you visit? Do you have uh, any opportunities to really immerse yourself in the in the cultural uh, culture well, of the, the destination? I always enjoy it, even if I'm only there for an hour. Because mm-hmm. you know, even if you get to go somewhere, people are like, you know, I can't go to Australia because you need a month at a time. And you know what? I know people who literally go down there for a day. Good grief. And, you know, and even when I'm there, next time you go on a trip, and after you land and you do so much in one day, just pretend that you're getting back on a plane and going home and ask yourself, was it worth it just to do it for this? And a lot of times you'll say yes because you'll be amazed how much you can do in a day. But I try and spend more than a day, obviously. And um, you don't get to evolve yourself as much in the culture unless you hang out for a while. Mm-hmm. But then again, you can't just stay at a at a nice hotel. You know, the real way is just to try and live with someone. And there are places like that all over the world where you can share a home, or or in Fiji, you can stay at a village for six dollars a night instead sure. of staying at a fancy hotel. Sure. Have you tried that at all? You know, I, I've never stayed at a village in in Fiji. I visited them a bunch of times, but it was always for like just a day, mm-hmm. which I loved. But um, no, I've only done some things. Like I stayed at a Ryokan in Japan, mm-hmm. which instead of staying at a fancy hotel, I stayed at one of these, which was awesome. You sleep on the floor, basically. And when I first got there, I was like, where's the bed? The bed wasn't even there. They take the bed out of the, the closet. It's just a mat. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to like this. But it turned out to be one of my best experiences. And, you know, a lot of times I'm there for work, so I need to have internet and I need to have a desk. But, you know, when I can, mm-hmm. I love doing that stuff. Johnny, with uh, spending so much time on the road, it's... Uh it's got to be challenging at times, but uh, with uh, technology, you're never really too far away from the office or even home, for that matter. And I'd like you to kind of speak about what you enjoy about the road and really what are some of the tough things about uh, the road for you with all of the traveling that you're doing. Well, you know, I love technology, and I love the fact that I have a BlackBerry, and I can pretty much I can take a picture and send it to all my friends or followers within a second, no matter pretty much anywhere I am in the world. But sometimes it's a problem because, you know what, everyone, you know, these days when people travel, they don't meet as many people as they would normally or they're not looking at things. They're either on the phone mm-hmm. or, you know, a lot of times when you go away, you know, I hear from my friends who stayed at a lot of hostels, you know, everyone's on Facebook in the cyber cafe or in their room talking on Skype instead of being down in the lobby and, and socializing. And so that's the problem. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and this past week in Bora Bora, my T-Mobile BlackBerry didn't work. Someone had an AT&T BlackBerry and it worked, but mine didn't, except for the phone part. And, you know, the phone part is way too expensive. I always use Skype or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was actually kind of a blessing because for one week I was in French Polynesia and I, did, I wasn't checking my emails on my BlackBerry every minute like I am normally. Mm-hmm. I did check them at night on my computer, but, you know, I, I felt good. But at first I was like, oh, my God, I had separation anxiety. It's like, how am I going to go without having access to the real world? But you know what? Sometimes you just got to unwind. You know, it, it's liberating. I'm recalling a time uh, Ian and I were on a, um, a small yacht in Glacier National Park in the, in the bay, sailing around the bay, and there's absolutely no connectivity there. And, and I suffered from separation anxiety <laughs> from my technology for the first 
first day or two, but as the week went on and as we enjoyed uh, people, and we a- actually ended up sailing with uh, Senator Gary Hart and his wife Lee, and you know, wonderful, wonderful people, and just having that opportunity to enjoy people without focusing on you know what's not getting done back home or you know what emails I'm not answering, yeah. you know, you just let it. I, I let it go, and it was really, really liberating and relaxing, and I, I enjoy. I look forward to doing that again some point yeah. soon. It's funny as I sat across the aisle from Gary Hart on in French Polynesia on, a, on a, one of the planes from Bora Bora to Papiete. This was two years ago, though. Mm-hmm. But, and I was just there last week, but I thought of that, and that's funny that you just mentioned his name. Yeah, he real, real great guy. We love him to death, and um, a good family. Um, now, with these, with, with your travels, have you identified a favorite destination? And I know when people ask Ian and I what our favorite destination is, what our fa- you know, I can't answer that. Um, yeah, you know what? I really I like them all. Mm-hmm. I pretty much like them all. It's just I just like them different times. Like I, I prefer going to Europe in the summer, and I like going to South America and Australia in their summer. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a warm weather person, <laughs> and I. And, you know, I like going to the South Pacific when it's not the rainy season. And, you know, and I love Florida even in in, in January or February when it's freezing in the Northeast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and you're going there next week, I think uh, you said. Yeah, right? actually I was there last week, too. I, I go there a lot. Ah, okay. Well, we'll have to we'll have to meet you down there at some point. <laughs> now, has there have you had a, a um, you know, we talk about travel as being very transformative and, um, you know, and, and every journey, to me, every journey offers some uh, transformational experience. And I, I'm just wondering if you've had, you know, a really memorable trip, even though, you know, you're, you're traveling for business purposes, um, if there's one, one or two places or experiences that have really just, cop, you know, captured your, your attention and in, in your, your, your feelings. Well, my... My favorite trip was traveling with my mom before she passed away. Mm-hmm. You, know, she, you know, growing up, she never she never traveled. She never wanted to leave her kids, and she always had opportunities, but she never went. And my grandparents, my grandfather was from Denmark, and she, you know, always talked about it, but never went. And when I started earning a lot of miles and traveling, I said, you know what, I'm going to cash them all in and go first, take my mom first class, which we never did, and uh, go to Denmark, and actually go to Paris, where she won a scholarship for uh, fashion design, but she didn't take it because she said she designed a family instead of dresses. And oh, then, um, And, you know, we got to do this stuff. That was my all-time favorite trip. And just, you know, when we were landing in Copenhagen, I just looked out the window. I was thinking at my mom looking out the window, and she had tears go- rolling down her eyes, and I just, it was just something. With all of the travel that you've done thus far, and you kind of think about your list of places that you haven't been, are there some places that you're really eager to get to within the next several months? I mean, I have a I have a long list of places I want to go, but at the top of my list is Bali. I've never mm-hmm. been to Bali. Uh, I really want to go to Egypt there. I've never been to Jordan. I've never been to Chile. I've never been to Vietnam. So there's a bunch of places that I really want to go, and I haven't. But, you know, there's also part of me saying, you know what, maybe I, I shouldn't try and see them all so fast because I need to have something to look forward to. But my goal is to go to every country in the world. Mm-hmm. And I and I try to go to at least 10 new countries each year. Hmm. That's my goal. And I, but 20 countries a year, 
at least 20. I'm already at 18 so far this year. Wow. Uh, and about eight of them are new. Actually, only six of them are new. But, you, you know, that's the, one of my biggest fears is that there's so much to see, and um, I I don't know, even the amount of traveling we do, I don't know if I'll see it all by the time I uh, I move on to something higher. Um, but, you know, that's that's that's... That's a concern of mine, and I want to try to see it all. Well, you know, I always tell people that they should go to at least one new country a year. So if you're 50 years old, hopefully you've been to 50 countries. And if you think about it, one new country isn't that difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a bunch of countries nearby that I've never been. I've never been to Bermuda or Dominican Republic, and last year was my first time to the Bahamas, which is, you know, you know, 100 miles from the Florida, and I'm always there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you just got to... You just got to make an effort to do it and save some money. And a lot of it's, you know, you can do it on the cheap. Yeah, you, you know, and, and, and even trips to Bermuda, I mean, uh, Ian and I are pretty familiar with that island because we are married there and, and uh, we've, we've gone back a couple of times. But, you know, two hours from the East Coast and you can find some really uh, affordable flights uh, from the East Coast. And, um, and, and, and if you look hard and, and uh, you know, you can find some reasonable accommodations as well that Bermuda doesn't have hostels or anything of that sort, but they, they do have budget hotels. There's one or two budget hotels. And then there's always the beach, and I'd be happy sleeping on a tent on the beach. <laughs> so, um, well, I see flights sometimes, like in JetBlue and American, sometimes it's $150 round trip mm-hmm. from New York or mm-hmm. Baltimore, mm-hmm. which is just, you know, you can, you can literally go there for a night or just even for a day mm-hmm. if you really wanted to see it. Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of flying, spending so much time as you do up in the skies traveling and just dealing with airlines today, what's been your experience like, particularly now as we hear a lot about all the extra fees that people have to pay for baggage? Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's frustrating for a lot of passengers, but you're flying so often. How are you dealing with uh, what would some describe as the unfriendly skies well you know what it's what you make of it and i think we are all getting pretty spoiled beforehand so it doesn't take that much to you know first of all i think americans pack way too much Mm -hmm. you don't need to bring so much stuff you know every time i travel i almost always have carry-on i just came from a two-week trip to europe carry-on only and you know if i can do it other people can do it i I first started dating uh, my girlfriend you know, we went on a weekend trip, and she basically had a trunk with her. I go, that's not going to work out. So I bought her how to pack, and now she only ca- takes carry-on, too. And she was on this two-week cruise that we just did to the Baltic, and she only had carry-on. And, and all the people, all the cruise passengers are like, where, where's the rest of your bag? Like, we didn't need the porters to take them. We took it all ourselves. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, uh, when you pack light, you can take public transportation, which means you save a lot of money, and you also save the environment. Mm-hmm. And it's so much easier and quicker to get around. So, but if you have to ship bags or to take a lot of bags, ship them. Don't don't pay the airlines because you know what they charge a lot, and also you're probably not going to get them. Right. So you have to worry about that. So ship at FedEx ground or UPS ground. That's if you're traveling domestically. Internationally, you pretty much have to check a bag mm-hmm. if you're going to take a lot of stuff. You know, speaking of of, uh, of flying, I know that um, you used to have a fear of flying, and and I understand that because you know, even though we we also travel a lot, but I go through periods where I'm more anxious about flying than others, and I haven't conquered my fear of takeoffs. I I, I think more than anything, takeoffs 
I don't feel takeoffs very well. But you have some tips and, and advice that you can offer people like me and, and others who may be a novice traveler to, to conquer, you know, any flying trepidations. Yeah, well, you couldn't get me on a plane for three years from 18 to 21, and I rarely flew growing up. But I actually like takeoffs. What, what, what I didn't like was just thinking about, you know, am I going to be stuck on this plane for so many hours? What if I have an asthma attack? Because back then I had really bad asthma mm-hmm. or an anxiety, and I want to get off. So a lot of it was just mental, like thinking about, you know, what's going to happen. So what I would do is bring, um, you know, back then I had a Walkman. Now you have an iPod. And you have your favorite music, so you take your mind off of it. So make sure you load it up with all your favorite music. Also bring a book or a magazine or a newspaper that you really want to read and that you can't wait. So, But just hold, put it in your carry-on bag and don't do it until you get on the plane. So to take your mind off of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then and you also have to realize that flying is so much safer than driving. And, you know, one time I was landing from London on British Airways and the pilot got on the PA right when we touched down at LAX, and he said, okay, the safest part of your journey is now over. Please take (laughs) care driving home. (laughs) And and you ask pilots, and seriously, they will tell you that they're more scared of driving to the airport than they are getting on a plane. Yeah, well, you know, I I can relate to that, too, living in the Washington, D.C. area. I don't know if you've uh, driven around here, but um, uh, these uh, these folks have very interesting driving skills, or lack thereof. As they do in L.A. I used to live there, too. So, <laughs> Well, unfortunately, the number one cause of, of travelers dying overseas is car accidents. Oh, dear. So, and that's a concern of mine, especially, you know, if you go to India, I've never seen worse drivers in India. They're crazy. I mean, I don't know if they're worse. They're just crazy. There's no law. I mm. mean, they're, they're on all sides of the street. they got wild animals coming <laughs> out. you got elephants, monkeys. Oh, and dear. you just have to close your eyes and just do a Hail Mary. <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, you know, other than uh, worldfootprints.com, our website, um, and, and your website, of course, what is what is your website pick of the week? Because I know that you share website picks, and now you have a, a share of favorite Twitterers or Twitterer of the week. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Twitter because you can get the news out quick and you know, there's so many people. I, I learn from Twitter. I just don't post, and I think that's one of the big things about about it. But for my website, this past week I did a website called MuralLocator.org. Murals, M-U-R-A-L. And that was, you know, just, it's a real small website that just began, but they're pointing out murals all around the world where you can, you know, if you find a mural that you like, you can just send the picture and point it out so other people can find it. Oh, a lot beautiful. of people like public art. And so my point was that, you know, there's a website for everyone, basically. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and practically everything, which is great for travelers because everyone has so many different interests. So, I mean, I, I've only been on that website for five minutes. So it's not even, like, not one of my favorite. But I, you know, I just, I appreciate different websites. And there was another one a couple of weeks ago I featured called happycow.net, which is <laughs> for people who are, you know, health-conscious eaters or vegetarians. And they, they're worried about traveling and not being able to find either vegetarian food or health food stores, and this shows them all around the world. Oh, happycow.com. I'll have to... to Happycow.net. Dot net, okay. Wow, wonderful. Well, Johnny Jett, thank you so much for joining us today on World Footprints Radio, and, uh, and safe travels to you, my dear. And as always, you know, we... 
you're, you're a uh, an old friend and um, actually the first person to welcome us into SATW. So I thank you for for that about a year ago, and um, and we look forward to seeing you in the skies and having you back on the show. Thanks for having me on. Take care, you guys. We hope you enjoyed our show today. We certainly did. We always look forward to spending quality travel time with you and to connecting with you during the week on our social networks. So you can follow us there and sign up for our social networks and uh, also our newsletter from our website at worldfootprints.com. And don't forget to check out our newest travel deals and travel marketplaces where you can find the latest last-minute travel deals, the best out there that you can't find anywhere else, and also great sales on your travel essentials. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week, same time, same frequency. And until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio. They spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps. There are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a pre-